There's a lot of us. It's called an ussy. Did you know that? Are you ready? Somebody in the back's not smiling. That's looking nice. Y'all look so handsome and pretty. You did good. You know that Google uses their data for their Android devices and says that on their Android devices across the world, there are 93 million selfies taken every day. Now, there's about twice as many, uh, there's about twice as many Android users as there are iPhone users. So maybe iPhone users take another 40 million, something like that. But we can estimate that there are well over 100 million selfies taken every day on all devices. And most experts say that they believe that the, the next generation, the younger generations, those who have smartphones their entire lives, because iPhone came out in 2007. So if you're, if you're like me, if you're in your 30s and 40s, you didn't get it till later in life. But the generations now that have phones when they're young, their whole lives will take 25,000 selfies in their lifetime. And on average, if you did the math on that, from age 13, if they get a phone when they're 13 and they die at 90, that's almost a selfie a day. It's about six and a half selfies a week. Now, the interesting thing is this. There was a study done uh, a few years ago that studied six years from 2011 to 2017, and they found that there were 259 selfie deaths in that time span. It's crazy, isn't it? People taking dangerous selfies. In that same time span, guess how many shark attack deaths there were? 36. That's amazing, isn't it? It's literally more dangerous for you to take a selfie than to go in the ocean. If you take a selfie while you're in the ocean, you're cooked. I mean, it's done, right? You have no shot. Don't do that. Don't do that. Now, listen, I'd say that I, I take selfies all the time. Me and our, our families, we do it. Uh, and I love social media. If you're following me on social or, you know, I love, I, it's just a great way to connect. I love that I can connect with people that I went to high school with or college or family that live in other towns. What an amazing gift and amazing tool. But social media has kind of revealed something about us that I'm not sure we knew was there or we just didn't quite have the avenue. And that is that we all kind of want to be a star. We all want to be the center of the selfie, right? That we even have a term that says it's about my self, that we all feel like we could be a celebrity even with our own circle of friends. And if you have just the right selfie, just the right picture with just the right lighting, or you make just the right post with just the, you know, it's just the coolest remark you could possibly make. You could go viral at any moment. But social media is a popularity contest that never ends because you're viral one day and then there's, a, there's something else that's viral the next and it's this thing. But you know, it's not really social media's fault. We have been doing this forever. We have always been wanting to get ahead. We have always been wanting to get the job promotion. We have always been wanting to uh, have the cool shoes or the cool clothes or be the cool kid in school. We have always wanted to get the new job title. We have always wanted to buy the status car. We have always wanted to keep up with the Joneses. And then we move to a better neighborhood so we have some new Joneses to keep up with right? We have always wanted our kid to win the spelling bee and not because we want our kid to excel so we can be like, yeah, my baby won the spelling bee, right? It's about herself. It's about herself. We have this thing. We have this, this idea that we are all about ourselves. Now listen, there is nothing 
nothing wrong with pursuing excellence. There's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with, with wanting to succeed or chasing greatness. Man, I hope those are values. We, we try to make excellence a value around our church. But when those emotions get a little sideways, here's the problem with it. The problem is your story isn't about you. It's not about your selfie. Now, it, it can be, but your story isn't about your success, your ambition, your uh, position, your wealth. is isn't, isn't about your fame. Your story. Now, you can make it about you. You can make it if you want to. You can make it about what you accomplish. You can make it about how, what level you succeed at. But listen, is that all you want for your life? Because here's the here's why I don't think this is healthy and why I don't want your story to be about you is, and this may be news to you if you're new to church or you're new to Christianity at all. This concept may be totally new to you, but this is something that we believe so deeply. You see, you weren't made in your image. Do you know that? We believe that you were made in God's image. So when we try to live up to a self-made image or to a world-imposed image or into a social media image or a neighborhood image or a workplace image, when we make our image about us, no matter how much succeed, hear me out, church, no matter how much succeed, you are never going to be satisfied because that wasn't the image you were created in. And your story isn't about you. I think God wants more for you than what you want for you and more for me than what I want for me. I think God wants something else. There is a character in the first Christmas story that gives us a glimpse into another way and her name is Mary. Now in this passage we're going to read is in a book called Luke chapter one. Luke is one of the writers of one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in this story, Mary is maybe 14 years old. She could be as young as 12. And so when, when a young Jewish girl could be, they could be betrothed at as young as 12 years old. So she's probably somewhere between 12 and 15, 16-ish, a very young girl. They might be betrothed for several years. Now, a betrothal, or the way we're going to read it, says she is pledged to be married, is something in between our modern-day understandings of engagement and marriage. It's a little bit of both. It's somewhere in the middle. It is, an, it is like engagement in that you're not fully married. The, the couple wouldn't live together and they wouldn't fully be husband and wife together. But it is like a marriage in that it is, it is binding. Like you couldn't just break off a betrothal like we break off engagements. You had to actually get divorced to get out of betrothal. It was, a, it was kind of a formal contract just like we would have in a, a marriage certificate. Now part of the story that Luke tells is that Mary is a virgin She's never been intimate with a man. Now, I, I don't know where you stand and what, what you think about the scriptures and kind of this part of the story. And maybe this is a part where you struggle with and like, wow, I just don't know. You know, I, maybe you're a little bit skeptical about this. Here, here's something really interesting about this that, that's important for us to understand in this first Christmas story. That there were pagan religions that had all kind of different um, 
stories about how their God came into being or how their God kind of came into, into earth. And some people say, well, like, oh, Christianity just copied this religion. Let's, listen, not one single of those pagan religions had a story of a virgin birth. Let me ask you a question. If you were trying to just fool all of society and create a new religion, would you start it with an impossible, scientifically, virgin birth? Is that where you'd start? Like, hey, I've got an idea. This will make all my friends believe it. Let's start with a virgin birth, right? You wouldn't start it that way. And so I say that because these aren't just stories. These are real people written by real people. Luke was an actual person who was alive while Jesus was alive, who knew people who knew Jesus. And these people had no concept of Christmas trees and shopping and holidays. They were living Christmas into existence the first Christmas. So listen, uh, we're going to start in verse 26, but before we do, just to kind of give you some context for this story, listen to what Luke writes in the first four verses. So in the very opening of his book, this is his opening line. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. So what Paul is, I mean, excuse me, what Luke is saying is that He's writing to an audience that would say, I know we've all heard the stories. I mean, we've all heard the stories about Jesus. This is an oral tradition that we're known because many of us know people who were literally eyewitnesses to Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. But then he goes on to say, with this in mind, with, with, with this in mind, within the context that we have all been told these stories, bits and pieces from different people we know, Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. Do you know how Luke probably carefully investigated this story? Like he interviewed Mary. Like he he probably sat down with Mary and said, okay, Mary, I've heard you tell this story a thousand times. I, I feel like I need to write it down. Tell me how this went one more time. So you were by yourself and an angel came, right? Oh, yeah, Luke. Let me, let me tell it to you. One day when I was very young and Joseph were, and I, we were, we were just in love, but we weren't married yet. I, I mean, that's all that. The best explanation for this story is that it happened because no one would create a religion they were trying to get everyone to believe and start it with an impossible-to-believe story, right? The best explanation is that it actually happened. But I don't think it's just a story about uh, Mary. I think it's a story about us. So we're going to start in verse 26. And if you don't have a Bible to study this further when you go home, take one, uh, whichever door you exit out, and we'd love for, for, to give that to you. And we actually, in the bulletin, we list some, some study guides for you to take home. So this is what it says in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So if you weren't here last week, we started the series off by talking about Elizabeth's pregnancy. She was Mary's cousin. She was married to a priest named Zechariah. 
And after the prophet Malachi died, that's the last book of the Bible in the Old Testament. He was about 400 B.C., so 400 years before the birth of Christ. And then God was silent for 400 years, and there were no prophets, and there was no new revelation. And then God showed up on the scene, and he helped Zechariah and Elizabeth become pregnant in their old age, and they'd never had a child, and their baby would be the last great prophet of Israel. We know him as John the Baptist. So this is six months after the first 25 verses. So if you, if you weren't here last week, watch it online. Go read the first 25 verses so you can kind of understand the context. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. This same angel Gabriel was the one that went to tell Zechariah that he would have a baby boy named John. A town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Angel shows up. Greetings, you're highly favored. And this is what it says Mary's response was. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She's greatly troubled. Now, it seems like it would be good news for an angel to show up, right? Do you know there's a story in the Old Testament of an angel of God uh, fighting and killing 185,000 enemies in one night? I don't think they look like Hallmark cards. Right? They are mighty warriors, mighty celestial warriors. And that's why almost every time there is an angel that shows up in the Bible, almost every time, these are the first words out of their mouth. They say, Don't be afraid. Because everybody sees them and goes, Which is what you would do if you saw. I don't know if I can make that sound again. <laughs> don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And then, it, then the angel gives Mary this incredible message. You will conceive. And the, the Greek word here, I mean, there's no mistaking it. It means, uh, it means belly, means womb. I mean, you are going, there is going to be a child in your womb. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. And listen to this, what this, this message about this son of hers. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will rule, he will, excuse me, he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, what I'm going to do through you is going to bless the whole world. It's bigger than you can have ever imagined. This, is, this has got eternal implications. And this child will be my own son. And not only that, Mary, this child is going to fulfill all the prophecies. You see, long, long ago, God had told the mighty King David, the greatest king over Israel, that my promise to you is that you will always have a descendant on the throne of Israel. And you thought that just meant that David would always have a great, 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 great grandson on the throne. But I'm talking about eternal thrones here. This is to fulfill a promise I made a long time ago because I am a God that keeps his promise. I mean, it's it's amazing. Mary's not worried about any of that message about Jesus. All that that, that the angel just said about all this incredible stuff that that her baby is going to do. And you, but you and I probably have the same question. See, she goes and she says, well, 
how will this be since I am a virgin? You see, angel, Gabriel, can I call you Gabe? See, Gabe, I know you're an angel and you're not a human, so you may not know how this works. You see, a man and a woman fall in love, and then, how will this be? This is impossible. This, This won't work. This is... What you are telling me, you're telling me that I'm going to conceive, but what you're telling me is I, and I am incapable of making happen in me what you want to do through me. I can't make happen what you say should happen. And what Mary's question is the question we all have when we hear God's plan. Because whenever we hear God's plan for our lives, for our church, for our community, for our family, for our business, our response is always, well, this, that's, this is humanly impossible. God's plan for your life, you can't pull it off. Right? That's what we say. When we hear God's plan, it's like, well, that's going to take a lot of energy. That's going to take a lot of patience. That's going to take a lot of faith. I mean, listen, uh, I don't have the bandwidth to do this, Lord. I don't, we don't have the money. We could never afford to do that. I can't manufacture your plan for my life. It's too big. It's too crazy. It's, it's too eternal. It, it's just too impossible. And God would say, well, of course it is because it's my plan. It's not your plan. Your plan, all you need in your plan is just a little grit and determination. Your plan just needs a little elbow grease. Your plan just probably needs you to get lucky one week right? Your plan, all you need to make is like one big sale. Your plan, you just have to, you know, you just have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's all you need for your plan. But you see that no problem. This isn't your plan. This is my plan. It's my plan. And my plan for your life is for me to do something that you can't do on your own. My plan for your life is for you to see me move in a way that seems impossible. Well, that sounds great. But how in the world would it happen? I mean, okay, okay, I get it. How in the world could that happen? That's our question. That's Mary's question. And then the angel just gives the answer. The angel answered the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the tweet. The Holy Spirit. That's it. There's no other answer that is needed than just to say the Holy Spirit. So often we're looking for earthly answers. How in the world could we tithe? How could we live on 90% of our income when we're just pinching pennies to live on 100% of our income right now? The Holy Spirit, that's how. How can I afford to give to the Christmas offering when we're maxed out all December? The Holy Spirit, that's how. How could we wait until marriage? We're young and we're we're just full of passion and we're love and we're gonna get married anyway. How in the world could we wait? The Holy Spirit. How could we be a foster kid, foster parent? We don't have the room and the space in the house. We don't have the money. We don't have the time. The Holy Spirit. How could I ever go on a foreign mission trip? I'd love to help somebody in a place that's not as fortunate as us, but how could I ever pay for that? The Holy Spirit. How could I have integrity in my job in this cutthroat business? Listen, Carter, you don't understand. I've got to do some things I'm not proud of just to make the bottom line. Okay, listen, the answer is the Holy Spirit. How can I love my neighbor as myself? Carter, have you met my neighbor? The Holy Spirit. How could I ever get rid of this addiction? How can I ever stop this bad habit? The Holy Spirit. How can I ever invite someone to church when my 
oh, my stomach gets all these butterflies when I think about doing it. The Holy Spirit, how can I ever serve one service and worship at another service? Man, it's all we can do to get to a single service, the Holy Spirit. How in the world could I live my life for Jesus in a world that wants very little to do with Jesus? What do you think the answer is? Holy Spirit. We believe in heaven-sent answers for earthbound problems. We believe that when we say, I can't figure out how this will work. I can't figure out how this will happen. I'm not real sure how the pieces are going to come together. I'm not sure. We believe that we have a God who makes pieces come together that don't fit. That we have a God who does things we don't understand that does the impossible. The Holy Spirit. But then the angel Gabriel actually went on. The Holy Spirit, he could have quit right there. That was it will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Let me stop right there. We sang that song, My Soul Magnifies the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? My Soul Magnifies. That's actually from a little bit later in Luke. It's, it's from what's called Mary's Magnificat, which is just a big fancy word. It's almost like she writes this poem or this song after this. So read on a little bit later in Luke 1 and Luke 2 and you'll, you'll see this. Uh, you'll see this. And she says those lines, my soul magnifies the Lord. Okay, so let me ask you a question. When you magnify something, does it make it bigger? No, it doesn't. You just see it bigger. (laughs) It doesn't make it bigger. It just sees, you see it bigger. You just see it bigger. My soul, so this... The power of the Most High will overshadow you that I'm going to magnify the Lord. I'm going to see you for who you really are in my life. I'm going to see you bigger in my life. And then Gabriel says, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Now there's something in here in this message that's just, I don't know if you missed it, but it's so profound. It's really deep. Okay. It's really deep. All right, here it is. Are you ready? It's deep for the power of God to overshadow you. You'll have to be overshadowed. Okay. It wasn't that deep, but it's plain. I mean, for the power of God to overshadow you, That sounds good. Oh, man, I want God's power in my life. Oh, man, I want God's glory to be revealed. Oh, man, I want others to see the Holy Spirit at work in my life. That's cool. That means you're not the star. That means you take a back seat. That means I take a back seat. This is so profound in this, in this message. There's a, there is a little bit of a hidden message in here that the angel says, Mary, that the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. And here's what that means, Mary. Did you catch this when we read that whole passage? First, it says, you're going to have a baby boy, and they're going to call him the Son of the Most High. Do you, you remember that one? Call him son of, then what else do they call him? He's going to be called what? The son of God. Yeah, Jesus. He's going to be called the son of the most high and the son of God. But guess what, Mary? For thousands of years, you're going to have to go through all this pain. No one's ever going to call him Mary's boy. Now, come on, moms. 
<laughs> That's called taking a back seat. For generations, people are going to be talking about your son, Mary, but they're going to call him the son of God, the son of the most high God. In fact, Mary, they're going to have a lot of names for him. King of kings and Lord of lords and the Holy One of Israel and the Lion of Judah and the Savior and the Messiah. They're going to call him the Christ. Mary, they're going to have so many names for him, but no one is ever going to refer to your son as Mary's boy. Because Mary, for me to accomplish what I need to accomplish in your life, I need you to take a back seat to what I want to accomplish. Here's the message. For God to do in you what didn't come from you, he'll have to overshadow you. I mean, if you want God to do in you something that didn't come from you, that came from from, from heaven that came from the Holy Spirit, then the only way that has to happen is, is we have to take a back seat. God becomes the star. It is about his fame. It is about his glory. And it is not about myself E. It is about the Holy Spirit at work. In other words, Mary, listen, I want to do something awesome in your life, but you going to have to take a back seat. You're going to have to get overshadowed. They're not even going to refer to him as your son, Mary. Are you willing to do it? See, the, the problem for us is that we're often not willing because we want to be in charge. We like to be in control of the narrative. Any other control freaks in the room? It's confession time. That's no, okay. It's okay. We like to be in control. We like to be in charge. Now, some of you and so, and so the problem is if we do it by our rules, we get our life. And don't you think God wants more for you? Because remember, you weren't made in your image. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Carter, an angel hasn't showed up and asked me to have a baby. As scared as that might make me, I mean, I'd be inclined to say yes, right? I mean, if you just would have an angel show up. Well, maybe an angel hasn't showed up, but I think a message and an invitation from God is still very similar for us. I think if Gabriel were saying this to you and me, here's what he would say. I want to conceive something in you that is bigger than you and not from you. I want to do something through you that will benefit all people and it will be great. And it will be a part of my bigger story. In fact, it will make an eternal impact. And of course, we'd answer, I mean, how's that even possible? I'm not, I'm not, I'm just little old me. I can't, I'm not capable of impacting eternity. And I think Gabriel would answer us, I, oh, I know. But the power of the Holy Spirit can work in you and God himself will need to overshadow you. And when this accomplished though, you need to know that your name won't be made famous. This will be about bringing glory to God's name. And I can assure you that every single word that God speaks will come true. If you are feeling God calling you something bigger that you can't accomplish by yourself, I don't think you're much different than Mary. In fact, I think that's true for all of us. And Mary had a choice. If you think about this choice, now this is where we miss the first Christmas message. Because we live with 2,000 years of Christmas trees. Like we can't imagine that there is a world 
where Christmas hasn't happened yet. We just think candlelight, Christmas presents, Santa, have you know dinner with family. We live with Christmas. There was a time that none of that was real. And Jesus had not even been born, and he had not even, even lived and died and rose again and ascended into heaven. We had not seen his miracles. It just started with a little teenage girl asked to do something impossible, asked to take a leap of faith. And I want you to think about this. This would cost her almost everything. She was, if she says yes to this, she has to go to her fiance, Joseph. Joseph, we need to talk. I'm pregnant. I'm gone. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. It's not what you think. Mom and dad, we need to talk. I'm pregnant. I can't believe you and Joseph. No, no, mom, it's not what you think. Do you think her parents believed her? If you have a teenage girl, would you believe her? There had never been a virgin birth ever in the history of planet Earth, and there hasn't been one since. And she would have to make this decision understanding that this would mean that her own family would think that she was mentally and emotionally unstable. People would not just tell stories about her as pregnant, which was taboo and that culture out of wedlock, but they would also talk about the one whose elevator didn't quite go up to the top floor, who thought she was pregnant by the power of God. But what do you think she said? Well, I mean, come on. We had Christmas, right? (laughs) She said, but I love what her language, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. And listen, this is so important. May your word to me be fulfilled. Not my plan, not my ideas, but what you say about me. May your word, God, be fulfilled in my life. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. It was fulfilled. And she had this incredible baby boy who wasn't any baby, but was the baby we had all been waiting for. But guess what? Her life was overshadowed. And once you get past Luke 2 and the rest of the Gospels, she sporadically mentioned. She nursed and raised the Son of God. And we have one story of Mary when Jesus is 12 years old. It's the only story from the time he's born to the time he's 30 years old. Because the story isn't about Mary. The story is about Jesus. But check this out. Check this out. And it's cute. How many of you have a little figurine of Mary sitting on a table or on your mantle right now? That's something. Guess what? For the last 100 years, do you know what has been the most popular name given to little girls in the United States? Mary. But it's so important to understand that Mary had no concept 
of the bigness of this decision. She had no concept that there would be nativity scenes for 2,000 years all the way across an ocean. She had no concept that all the way across an ocean for 100 years, we would have been naming little girls Mary in 1900 and in 2019, we're still naming little girls Mary. She had no concept of that. All she knew was that God had asked her to obey if she would say yes, and she had a choice to say yes or no. And can I tell you this? God usually doesn't tell you. He usually doesn't tell you that, hey, what, you know, what hangs in the balance here is if you say yes, there's going to be little figurines of you for the next 2,000 years from Birmingham to Boston. It usually doesn't work that way. And you have no idea, you have no idea the bigness of the decision that you're about to make for God, what your yes means. You have no idea how that's going to change your life, how that's going to change your future. You have no idea how it could change your family tree. You have no idea what it could mean for your great, great, great grandchildren. You have no idea what it will mean for your workplace. You have no idea if it will impact eternity so that you have no idea, but I can tell you this, it's bigger than you imagined. It was bigger than Mary imagined 2019 years ago. And it's bigger than we imagine now. The only question is where we answer the same way Mary did. Lord, I'm your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And we give you just a real simpler way. Yes, Lord. Yes. I'll go. I'll obey. I'll follow. Yes. Our band's going to come up and lead us in a song to close out that talks about this trusting God in this way. And as they come and prepare, I want to ask you to think about something because I think there are folks in this room in three different places. I think for some of us saying, yes, Lord, what that means is for the very first time saying yes. There's some of us that it seems impossible that God could forgive our sins. It seems impossible that we could, we could have a relationship with God because of our past, because of our mistakes. And he, here's what I want to just tell you. I just want to challenge you to just say, yes, Lord, for the first time. And the whole point is that is impossible on your own to forgive your sins. But Jesus, God sent this Jesus, this baby king to live a perfect life, to die a perfect sacrifice in your place and rise again three days later so that you could have forgiveness, mercy, grace, and victory over that sin. And I know that seems impossible. Would you just not worry about how impossible it sounds and just say, yes, Lord. And there's some of us in this room who said yes a long time ago, but there has been something in your life, some addiction, some bad habit that you just can't quit. You just can't knock. And it seems impossible for you to imagine your life without it. And today, I just want to challenge you to come say yes. Yes, Lord, I can't imagine. How would this be? How could it work? How could I ever get rid of this? But yes, Lord. And there's some of us in this room that God is calling you to do something. I don't know what it is. And you're like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It, don't, it won't work out. I don't know how we have the time. I don't know how our family would work it out. This, what is this going to mean for our, my job? What's this going to mean for my business? And you're trying to figure it out. It, but you know God's knocking on the door of your heart saying, I'm calling you. Come on, child. Come on, child. Would you follow? Would you trust? And I just want to invite you to come say yes. 
Our prayer team and our elders are going to come forward here, and I want to ask you to come forward and pray. And here's what I want to tell you. You can pray in your seat, but the posture of your heart will be a little different up here. And if you don't feel comfortable praying with them, you can just come and pray by yourself. You can kneel down on the steps. But I want to invite you to come. You have no idea what hangs in the balance if you just say yes. Would you stand? And let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God. Thank you for Mary and her story and her faith and her obedience. Lord, it's hard for us to imagine before Christmas shopping and Christmas trees and presents and Christmas cookies and before jingle jam and candlelight services, God, and before there were even God in the flesh crucified for our sins and resurrected. Lord, before that, there was a young teenage girl faced with a choice. And her yes changed the course of human history. And some of us, Lord, are facing a question, a choice. And our yes could change our family tree. Our yes could change our futures, could change a friend's future, a loved one's future. Lord, help us to in the face of impossible odds, remember that we serve a possible God. For it's in the name of Jesus, the Holy One of Israel, descendant of King David, who sits on the throne forever, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Son of the Most High, the Son of God and Mary's boy that we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.